I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives for a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build the houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of the tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Problem solved. 
their sins, selfishness, pride. Because of the fact that they would turn in any direction except God to be a source of strength. Because they would ally themselves with a foreign nation instead of the God who gave that nation its power. God was coming. Judgment. God told Isaiah the day he became a pastor that that would be the content of his ministry. That he would speak to people who wouldn't listen. That he would speak words of judgment and, and that people wouldn't care. And yet he faithfully proclaimed, he faithfully warned them as God desired time and time and time again. I wonder if Isaiah grew weary. Such a similar message. Same message, same sin, same old people, same result. And I guarantee you that God grew weary. That if they didn't shape up, if they didn't turn to him and honor him as the one true God, his hammer of judgment. If you want to find a way to make a child behave, allow them to witness the punishment of another child. If siblings are misbehaving and the older one crosses the line and gets punished, it's almost for sure that the younger one is going to line up, shape up. Because now they understand where the limits are. Now they understand that if you do this behavior, then you're going to get grounded too. And, and so allowing them to see someone else punished usually doesn't trick. The best way to curb classroom chaos is for one of the classmates to have to stay inside for recess. Now the whole class knows what the teacher's boundaries are. Now the whole class knows where the line is, and they know that if they want to stay in for recess too, then all they have to do is keep talking, but probably they don't want to stay in for recess, and so they're going to sit and play. At least if they're smart, they will. They're going to fall in line. Ironically, and sadly, that's not the way it works for the people of Judah. It wasn't enough for them to see their cousins from the northern kingdom carried off into captivity, never to be seen again. It wasn't enough for them to see that very same Assyrian army come and knock on Jerusalem's door. It wasn't enough that it took an act of God to spare them from destruction at the hand of the Assyrians. The angel of the Lord came and wiped 120,000 Assyrian soldiers off the battlefield, came into their camp at night and struck them down, leaving the leader with no choice but to turn around and go home. But that close call wasn't enough. And that judgment that their cousins of the north had received, it wasn't enough. It's simple math, one plus one equals two judgment or defiance and unbelief equals judgment. They could have figured it out, they should have figured it out, but they didn't. Same old people, same old sins, same old lack. And so Isaiah proclaimed faithfully God's words, warning. He warned them time and time and time again. What happened to the North is going to happen to you. Their sins are the sins that you commit in your lives every day. 
day, turn from them, repent. I say I wanted nothing more than for them to leave their life of unbelief, to, to let their pride go and bow in humility before the Lord. He wanted nothing more than for them to repent of their sins and to be restored and forgiven and put back into the good graces of God. That's most certainly what Isaiah wanted, but God's people didn't want that. They continued living their lives the way that they were. They continued living their lives as if they were in control, living it their way, doing the things that pleased them without care or concern in the world. They were far more willing to line up with a foreign nation than with the God who gave that nation its power. They were far more eager to live life their own ways, living the ways that God had commanded. Living life our own way. Seeking to be the king of our own castle. Putting our hope and our confidence and our trust in a nation instead of the God who gave that nation its power. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound eerily like the life that you live and that I live? Does to me. We commit those very same sins. We allow that pride to grow in our hearts. We want to keep God at arm's length. We relegate religion into a series of check boxes rather than letting the love of God permeate into my heart and soul and life. We do the exact same thing. And we scoff at the judgment that God threatens in his word. That's not for me. And we put our hope and our confidence in the fact that we are citizens of the most powerful nation on earth. That's where we find our safety. Want to know if you're doing that too much? How do you respond when something in our country doesn't go the way you want, when politics don't tip the way that you would desire them to? How often doesn't that drive us to despair? Why is that? Is it because we've forgotten who's king? Or maybe the place where you line up with the people of Judah is more what happened when those dominoes started to fall. A hundred years later, when the words that Isaiah foretold started to come true, it was a different nation, this time the Babylonians, that came and systematically picked God's people up and removed them from their land. Maybe, maybe it's us that have pride promptly go to despair. We sit and look at the mess that we've made of lives. We see our sins coming home to roost. We recognize that we have no one to blame but ourselves for the mess that we're in. What are we going to do now? Who are we going to turn to? Really, that's the whole point of what God has going on here with the people. He wanted them to run out of places to turn so that they could turn only to Him. He wanted them to recognize that He was the one who was their source of hope and comfort and strength. Yet sadly, it didn't work. Many of them, even carried off into captivity, continued. The masses continued to defy God and to live lives for themselves instead of for Him. They continued to reject His word. And that's the faith that we deserve, too. We deserve to be separated from God. 
God, not just geographically, but spiritually, and not just spiritually, but eternally we deserve to have God walk out of our lives and never come back. God didn't do that to people in captivity, and he doesn't do it to us. He saves us the same exact way. Don't remove by 2,500 years. Saved us. By preserving a remnant. A small group of people there in the land of Babylon, God puts faith into their hearts. Faith into their hearts to see the error of their ways, to confess their sins, to bow their knee in allegiance and praise to the God of might, mercy, and of grace. He restores them back to their homeland. He lets them rebuild their city walls, their temple, and their capital. Because of God's grace, he brings them back. Because of God's grace, the people of Judah are new. But even better than a city or a wall or even a temple is the new and improved that God wants for them, a new and improved relationship with him. Put faith into the hearts of those stubborn and rebellious people. He kept a promise to a people who didn't deserve it and reestablished the relationship that he longed to have with them. He made them new and improved. God does the same for us. He makes us new and improved as he opens our blind eyes to see him for who he is, the God of love. He opens our ears so that we can hear his words of promise and leave them. Just like he did with the people of Judah, just like he did with that remnant. He makes us good and improve. He gives us hope. Hope. It's one word. Virgin. Place of manger. Hope was worshipped by shepherds, angels, proclaimed his might. Mary and Joseph were descendants of the remnants. They were ones that were, at, were born from generation after generation of God's people who were restored, the new and improved Judah. Mary and Joseph became the embodiment of the promises of God. They became the byproduct of his restoration, of his grace, his peace. And now through them, God keeps promising child that he places in Mary's arms is the child that will bring hope to the world. Jesus lived that perfect life, but we never could so we could be forgiven of our many sins. Jesus lived that perfect life and then laid that life down so that we could live. He came to be our substitute and our Savior. He bore the punishment that should have been yours and mine. He bore that separation from God so that we could be reconciled and live with him forever. Praise Jesus made us new and improved. Jesus makes us new and improved by being the improved and perfect human. Not another sinner in a long line of sinners, but Jesus was the one who could conquer sin. Jesus was the one who could defeat death by lying in his grave. Jesus was the one who could win a victory by rising 
victoriously from death. Jesus is the new. And it proved Adam, the one who came to undo what the first Adam had done. He came to carry your guilt and my sins so that we could be restored. So that we could have the whole life in a promised land. So that we could be new and improved. Through him. And through faith in him, that's precisely what we are. New and improved. God gives us a new man to live within us that seeks to worship him only. That seeks to do his will. That looks for opportunities to live in thanksgiving and praise. That cherishes the chance to serve others love Christ. Apostle Paul says in his letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, new has come. And because we are new and improved, that means that our God looks at us differently. That's why he can say to Isaiah, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. God takes no delight in defiance, unbelief, or sin, but those are things of our past. We are new and improved. We have been perfected in the blood of Christ, and that's why God can look at us. That's why he can take delight in his people. That's why he can take delight in us. And it's not just Christ who's new and improved. It's not just we who are new and improved, but it's our future that's new and improved as well. We have been so fully forgiven. Listen to what God says. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. That's the way that God says it through his prophet Isaiah. He says the same thing through his other pro- another prophet, Jeremiah. He says, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Your children of God marvel at that. Marvel at that concept that the God who knows everything knows nothing of your sin. Consider that. The God who knows all doesn't know your past. He only knows your present. He only sees you robed in Christ's righteousness. He only sees what Christ has done for you. When God looks at you, he sees he sees you and improved. That gives us a new and improved place where we will spend that future certainty with Him. That's why He says, For I am about to create a new heaven and a new earth. And that new heaven and that new earth is better than the existence we know, it's beyond the existence that we know. He says, the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Sometimes a churchy word like forever gets lost. Either we don't notice that it's there on the page or we're so deaf to it because we hear it so often that we don't stop and consider what forever really means. Let's do that today. Let's pause and consider forever. God says, what be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. We will never stop rejoicing. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can stop us from
from our gladness and the hope that we have. Not sin. Not the power of the devil. Not death. Nothing. Because we will rejoice forever. God will put that gladness in our heart that no one can take it away. Nothing can interrupt it. Nothing can disturb it. Nothing can cause it to cease to be. We will rejoice with God.